Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Late Breaking Formula One podcast. I am joined today by Harry Eid and Samuel Sage. Guys, how are you doing? Jolly good, thank you, Ben. Um, of course, if you weren't aware, we just hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, so I'm in a very good mood. Yeah. <laughs> what, wow. What Sam <laughs> I See, this happens. I always end up speaking second on anything we do, and, it, and whoever's spoken first, either Ben or Sam, ends up saying what I was going to say anyway. So I do, all I have to say is, yeah, I agree. And you do it so, so well. Yeah. Um, today, we're going to be looking into some more controversial comments made by Jacques Villeneuve. I know Harry is already chomping at the bit to get into that one. And we're going to be looking at some more topics about overrated or underrated. And I'm sure there'll be some juicy discussion there as well. But first of all, we're going to be looking at the Ferrari guys from this year. Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc locked in battle. They're fairly close in terms of points this year. They've both picked up victories um, I'll start with you, Harry, just because, you know, you won't complain about being second. Um, who of the two has impressed you the most? Uh, what is, is Chuck Leclerc, surely? Um, he's, we all knew what a talent that boy was going to be. In fact, I don't think we even did, but towards the latter end of last year, we were like, oh, yeah, right. Sam, you said he was going to win the championship. Stop pointing at your face. I'm the only person in teammate wars that said he would be the, the other driver. True. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, Leclerc's had a stunking year. Perhaps we didn't think he was going to do quite so well straight off, and he almost won race two of the season. He probably should have won it um, had he not been for his engine problems. Um, yeah, he's been mightily impressive this year, considering it's only a year two of his Formula 1 career. He's made some mistakes, some mistakes that a person in their second year of Formula 1 should make and has made in the past, as people do. Um, Baku qualifying, uh, German GP, they're the two that spring to mind. Um, but yeah, he's had a hell of an impressive year. 
Vettel, on the other hand, not so much. Um, he's had some bad races. But since that win in Singapore. Uh, Singapore, I think he's back to Sebastian Vettel that we all know and love. I don't think, still don't think the car suits him as much as it suits Leclerc. And I think that's a big factor for him. He needs a car that suits him well. Otherwise, he's just, he can't go quickly enough. Um, but since I went to Singapore, I don't know, that weight's been lifted off his shoulders and he's put some good performances that probably deserve the better results and that's actually been reflected. Um, but yeah, overall, out of the two, definitely Leclerc is the one that's impressed the most. Sam, would you agree with that? Well, I'm just going to start off by saying the person that's impressed me the most off the racetrack is Sebi Vett, who is the kindest of gentlemen you have ever laid your eyes upon. He is such a wonderful individual, and I'm so very happy he's still at the top of our sport thriving because I bloody love watching him. He likes interviews, talking to people. He's a great guy. But when it comes to racing this season, you can't look past Charles Leclerc's immense drive, immense r- rise up through the ranks of Formula One. He has turned up in this season. Everyone thought he will be, you know, the, the padder one to the, to the master that is Sebastian Vettel. And he's blown him out of the water. Not in terms of points, but I think in terms of performances, he's had so many more opportunities to succeed than Sebastian Vettel. And on more occasions, as he grabbed them by the horns. If you just look at Saturdays alone, he has excelled so much. The most pole positions across the uh, the season, uh, I believe, pole, uh, as he got. He's got more than Battery Bottas. He's got more than Hamilton. So, yeah, he's got the most poles in the season. And a car that for half the season wasn't the best. Remember that Mercedes had seven one-twos in a row in terms of locking out the grid. Now, that's incredible stuff. And yet, he's still got the most poles. I just think that his consistency isn't quite there yet. But in terms of the raw talent, in terms of the ability to turn up and deliver raw pace, he is doing such a fantastic job. And we all thought it would take a little longer than he has to cement what he's done. I had a lot of faith in him. I was being a little silly with how aspirational I was being, as I always am, for Charles Club. But my God, has he turned up this season. I generally think he's probably the person who could take the fight to Lewis Hamilton before all others because he's got the car there, unlike Max Verstappen. I think Charles Leclerc can really do something with it. And I am so impressed by how level-headed he's being, by how calm he's always being, and by how well he has driven around that team and kept relationships good with Sebastian Vettel. They easily could have had a, a bit of an inter-team war, but they haven't. It's been really good to see from the youngster. Yeah, I think Charles Leclerc has had a fantastic year and anyone who wants to argue against that is going to have a hard job doing so. Um, but I think it does need to be mentioned that Sebastian Vettel has had a fair share of, of bad luck this year. The answer to the question, I still believe, is Charles Leclerc, like you two think. But Sebastian Vettel has had a solid year and he has had a few um, inopportune moments. You look at the amount of retirements that they've each had, it's two each. But both of the two that Leclerc has faced have been self-inflicted, um, Monaco and Germany, um, whereas Vettel's were both through reliability issues. So um, I think Vettel has been a little more unlucky in that sense. Um, and he's dropped points as a result of them. So he, he lost almost definitely 25 um, at Russia and he probably lost 10 or 12 at the US as well. Um, You can look back to Charles Leclerc's performance at Bahrain, of course, but ultimately he did still finish third. So he only lost 10 points. And I think over the course of the season through bad luck, Vettel has actually lost out a little bit more than Charles Leclerc has. Having said that, Charles Leclerc is in his second season of Formula One. Um, He's come from Alfa Romeo Sauber, done 20 Grand Prix last year, has been thrown into the Ferrari seat. 
I thought he would initially struggle, which to a degree was true, but he has picked it up much quicker than I thought he would have done. And if he does go on to beat Sebastian Vettel this year, even if he doesn't, he has matched up incredibly well against him and he's given him a run for his money. Um, like I said, at the beginning of the season, he did struggle slightly, but that was to be anticipated. I think he was he was 82 points to 57 down after Monaco. But since that point, he has been the better driver out of the two of them. And um, it means that he's actually 44 points ahead since that mark. So I thought that early season struggle would carry on a little bit more. Hence why I picked Vettel in teammate wars. And it's still not decided yet, but Leclerc has got the advantage in that respect. Um, but yeah, Leclerc has delivered some scintillating performances. There are still a few gaps that he's to fill in. That He's still not the complete driver, but that will come with time and experience. And in terms of qualifying, I mean, Sebastian Vettel, no disrespect, has not been able to touch him. Um, Leclerc has the most pole positions that Sebastian Vettel has ever had against him. Seven is, is more than any other teammate than uh, Vettel has had. And there has been no teammate before this year that has out-pole positioned Sebastian Vettel. That's going to change at the end of this year. So um, I, I've been really impressed with Charles Leclerc. So Harry, I want to ask you this question because obviously at the beginning of the year, we saw Australia, Bahrain, China, a few team orders come into play which would have favoured Vettel how have you been impressed have you been impressed with Leclerc and how he wasn't able to settle this year on a second driver role yeah I mean it, I think it, Ferrari quickly realised that they couldn't have Leclerc as a second driver I think that was clear almost I don't know, as early as Bahrain um, yeah it's been mightily impressive he's not settled for the number two seat um, and I, I was just thinking, Ferrari, there's been a few, you know, talks or serious talks they've had, but there's not been like a big blow. For two quality drivers, and they both had their ups and downs this year, um, that's a very strong lineup. And I think Vettel's had to dig really deep to to match or, or slash beat Leclerc on a Sunday at least. Um, but it's been impressive how Ferrari have kind of managed to keep any, I don't know, scuffle what was it like i don't know uh tensions that's what i'm looking for any tensions under wraps and i know we had russia which is probably the biggest tension point but still either it's either it's ferrari like bonotti's great management or leclerc's just got a really really level head on him or better than leclerc just you know sorted out themselves but um yeah i've been quite surprised by that because when it was obvious it became clear earlier on in the season that leclerc wasn't gonna be number two i thought it could all go wrong and we might have like a Ricardo Vettel 2014 situation again where Vettel wasn't getting his way and ended up leading the team so um no yeah so been impressed by that but um as I said impressed by Leclerc as well that it hit by his speed that he just they just couldn't control him yeah and ultimately they they could well have Leclerc could well have settled for that second driver role this year and then really attack next year and I I've personally been very impressed at how he's just gone out and got it and said and just flat out said no to that and and wants to be that first driver he wants initially to be ahead of Vettel which is the go-getting ability you need in Formula One to be a champion uh, Sam would, would you agree with that well you stated how he struggled initially in the start I actually completely disagree with you on that point I think the moment he sat down in Ferrari overalls at the start of this season he came out fighting and went 
I'm going to be the first driver in this Ferrari team. The only reason he lost to Vettel in Australia was through team orders. He was the fast driver come the end of the race and could have overtaken him if not told to hold back. In Bahrain, he would have beaten Vettel comfortably. Vettel span, remember, through no fault of his own. The only reason Charles Leclerc lost any points was due to reliability issues, due to engine loss. I think you talk about those differences of points, the gap gets a lot smaller, and you expect Vettel to be comfortably beating Charles Leclerc. The experience is outweighed massively. Charles Leclerc came in, and I think in the first two races, was better than Sebastian Vettel. And across most of the season, I think, has been more consistently better than Sebastian Vettel. But you are right in terms of the Russia thing was disappointing for Vettel. He probably should have taken home maybe 25 points there. And um, I think realistically, Singapore, Vettel outdrove Leclerc and what was a really difficult track as well. But overall, I think Leclerc has put himself as an equal driver to a four-time world champion, to a guy that's been in that team for over five years. You know, that's tough to do when you've only been in the sport at that point when he entered it for 20 races. So, massively impressed with Charles Leclerc. He will never want to be a second driver. He's just far too quick for it anyway. Um, and I reckon one more year, if it carries on like this, Vettel maybe looks for something else and Charles Leclerc takes over the league of that team. be interesting to see. Um, moving on to, of course, Jacques Villeneuve. We, we do like dissecting his comments here at Late Breaking. And once again, Jacques Villeneuve has come out with some slightly controversial words, um, suggesting that Williams don't deserve uh, to be battling the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari. And the cost cap is a bit of a lifeline that they don't deserve. Harry, I love your reactions to Jacques Villeneuve's comments. So I'm just going to let you go for it. Oh, God. I mean, it's annoying because it's just getting what he wants, isn't it? Us talking about it effectively because he's just all he's saying. He's saying it because he wants a reaction, but it's not even controversial. It's just downright disrespectful. So the the team that gave him his world championship gifted it. He was in the best bloody car they had, and he's he's saying they don't deserve to fight with the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari. Um, stupid. Why why do we want to? Why do we want to? put down I know they were once a great team and I'm not suggesting that where they are now is not uh anything to do with them it's not their fault they've made mistakes along the way that is clear but as a privateer team of which there aren't many left um they deserve to at least be able to compete with the likes of the powerhouses of Mercedes and Ferrari and they can't do that at the moment because because um, it just costs too much. They can't afford to put the money in the Mercedes Ferrari. So I I don't know what Jacques' problem is. I think he's just saying it to, again, get a reaction, which he's, congrats, Jacques, you have, that you're a moron, so shut up. <laughs> Eloquently put. Um, Sam, would you agree with what Harry said? Not with the same passion that Harry's presented. Um <laughs> I'm going to come in from a different angle. I'm not actually as annoyed at uh, the brilliant Jacques Villeneuve. I genuinely think there's no deserve in Formula One. You make your own luck, and Williams have put themselves in the doo-doo over the last few years, continually making poor choices. They don't deserve to be up at the top just because they've won championships in the past. Just like McLaren, don't deserve to be first place just because they had Lewis Hamilton as their first driver or something like that. You don't deserve anything in Formula One. You have to plan. You have to be better, and you have to use your resources better than the other teams. It's the same as any sport. No one deserves anything. You get what you... Put what putting you get a little bit lucky and you have to take out a bit the most you can. There's no deserve for me, but yes, I think there should be a cost cut. I think that Williams will benefit from it as much as 
pretty much every other team on the grid, and they should benefit from it because it's becoming ridiculous how many how much teams can spend. I think that they des they do deserve a better chance at utilizing the resources they've got. And if that balances the playing field, then I'm all for it. But I do agree that they don't deserve, just because no, of their history, that they should be at the top. And I think that's kind of what he said, and that's where I agree with him. But if they can utilise this co cost cap, if they can make the most of the limited resources, unlike the other teams, then good for them. That's what you should be doing in sport. I don't think they're going to particularly that well. I think the likes of McLaren, I think Racing Point now, who have always done brilliantly on low-cost budgets, are going to excel more than they do. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see them maybe jump to uh, uh, above Toro Rosso again, uh, Alfa Romeo, you know, those kind of cars that maybe are a little bit up in the air. Haas definitely could fall backwards as well because they haven't got the, uh, the expertise that Williams have got in the garage. I think this is good for Williams, but I don't think they deserve to be up the front. But yeah, I do think it's beneficiary for them. I still don't think it's a handout because I think it's bloody good for the sport overall. I'm not 100% sure Jacques Villeneuve understands how a cost cap works. <laughs> um, so it's not as if Mercedes and Ferrari are instantly going to be last and second last, just as it's not going to be a case of Williams immediately surging into first place. That's not going to happen. A cost cap does not benefit small teams. A cost cap benefits efficient teams. This isn't about smaller teams getting up to first and bigger teams going down to last. It's about utilising the money that you have at your disposal and basically improving your you know, uh, pound per point or however you want to, want to phrase it. At the moment, Williams are terrible and they are spending the same amount as midfield teams so come 2021 if they are still in this same position they're still going to be last they're still going to be awful the fact that there's a cost cap going to be introduced which will scale back the likes of mercedes and ferrari isn't going to therefore improve the performance of williams williams return on investment or however you want to phrase it is dreadful so it doesn't hand them a lifeline it just gives them a better ground in which to fight in the championship if they can work out how to make their money work a bit more effectively at the moment they're terrible at it they need to work out how to do that in the next couple of years um and they don't you're right sam in what you're saying they don't necessarily deserve to be at the top because they were there once absolutely not i hate that argument you should not be at the top because you were once there everything is earned in the moment um, but the cost cap is all about making other factors relevant other than just an arms race in which you can outspend your opponents like Mercedes and Ferrari have done for so many years. It's about bringing up, bringing to speed the likes of driver ability. It, it's about making factors such as clever engineering, innovative engineering. It, it's about making them more relevant and making just overall cost and overall spend such an overriding fixture on who does well and who doesn't in Formula One. So, yeah. And also, Jacques Villeneuve seems to be having a go at Williams because they take home a profit every year. I don't think, again, he understands how Williams works compared to Mercedes and Ferrari. Mercedes and Ferrari don't necessarily need to make a profit on Formula One because they'll feel the benefit of that in the sales of their road cars. Williams don't have that. So, of course, they're going to take a profit every year. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the sport, you muppet. But, <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much all I have to say on that one, Jack. What a um, 
I think we should move on. Uh, that's kind of our five-minute Jacques Villeneuve rant over. I don't think we can take any more of him. Um, in slightly more positive news, Antonio Giovinazzi has been confirmed in the 2020 seat alongside Kimi Raikkonen. So an unchanged lineup at Alpha. Harry, do you think this was a good move? I do, actually. I, I at one point wasn't really sure about Giovinazzi this year, and this is take two at Formula One. I know he only had a couple of races in 2017, um, but you've seen the improvement throughout the year, and he's. I think he's definitely benefit benefited from. Uh, having Kim Stowe as his teammate, um, he might be mute, but I think Kimmy must impart some wise, sage words—not Sam sage words, but like <laughs> useful words. Um, yeah, I, I, and, and we've seen the improvements throughout the year, and in, in qualifying trim at least, um, Giovinazzi's matching and sometimes beating Kimmy now, which is 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 impressive. Kimmy is still a world champion, but you might still get him on race day. Um yeah, I think it's a good move. Kimmy's staying there next year, so they've got their they've got their experienced driver, keep Giovinazzi for another year, see how he develops. And if he doesn't improve next year, then maybe go for someone else. But I think sensible decision for twenty twenty. Yeah. Good good call. Uh Sam, do you think this was the right decision to keep him? Well, Kimmy Ryken is still a world champion, as is Jacques Villeneuve. Uh, the point I make there, uh, the the point I make there is being a world champion does not make you a difficult target to beat necessarily. I don't think Kimi Räikkönen is anything remotely close to what he once was when he won that title. Kimi Räikkönen was a formidable driver, one of the best of all time when he was on track winning that title. Uh, Jacques Villeneuve, just for clarification, was not. Um is beating Kimi in part when Kimi is probably at one of his worst levels of performance across his entire career. It's very just midfield. He's doing a good job, but he's not doing a great job. It's just a good job. Yes, he's implying that expertise, but I don't think it's going to reflect that much on Giovinazzi. And it's hard to be passionate about Giovinazzi because he's just average. He's good. He doesn't make loads of mistakes, but he doesn't wow. He doesn't impress me. I'm not filled with excitement for the future. I don't think that Alfa Romeo can realistically build a team around him. Um, he's already older than the majority of the youngsters in the sport anyway, and he's got less experience and less success. Yeah, okay, keep him for another year, but I don't think he's the future of this racing team. I think you've got people like Pascal Verlund, which showed a lot more promise, that are gagging for an F1 seat that you could have given a go and maybe spent less money on. Um, so, yeah, good for him. I'm happy that he's in F1 because I do like him. But I'm also not wowed by the decision. It feels like an easy choice for Alfred to make for consistency until the regulations change. I don't know if we're going to see both those drivers in that team come 2021. Nor do I feel they deserve to both be in that drive come 2021. That might be controversial, but that's how I feel about it. And Giovinazzi, like I said, average, good, not great. I kind of hope they take a risk and go for something a little bit different. But hey-ho, maybe next year. Ooh. <laughs> oh, oh, well, like I said, Pascal Verlein is an option. And then... Boring. It's not boring. It's he, not boring at all. He's a boring German. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on, folks. Ben, give your opinion. Um, yeah, I, I think it's um, I think it's a good decision. Um, if this was heading into 2021 rather than 2020, Alpha might have taken a risk. Um because obviously the everything is geared up to 2021 at the moment. We're just seeing a bit of a lull in terms of the driver market, with the exception of obviously Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban Ocon making that switch. There aren't too many dramatic moves happening um, in F1 compared to last off-season. 
Um, yeah, everything seems to be geared to 2021. Um, and they would rather play it safe, give Giovinazzi another year. I don't think one season is enough to completely rate a driver. I think it's enough to give you about a 70, 75% inkling of how good a driver will be. But I don't think it shows you exactly how good they will be. I, I, I don't think it gives enough time. Um, in which case, Giovinazzi gets one more year. If he can up his performances enough, he stays for 2021. If he can't, he's replaced. And it, it gives Alpha the power to make the decision there. So I think it was a good decision overall. Um, I've got no problems with it whatsoever. A bit safe. Yeah, sure. But that seems to be par for the course for 2020. All right, then. All relatively fairly in agreement, I suppose. Just kind of like, yeah, expected, I suppose, for the next season. I think next season could end up being one of the most dull seasons of Formula One if things go tipping slightly the wrong way. Damn. I think it could be, uh, judging on the way that the, the end of this year has gone with Red Bull and Ferrari finally catching up, as long as that continues into next year, I think it'll be okay. Uh, that's what I'm praying on. Otherwise, but, but, it could you know, be dull. It probably won't, and Mercedes will win again. Yes, um, we'll have to see on that one. Hopefully, Harry, for the first time in the last four or five years, you are right. I really <laughs> hope so. You are the Williams. I've had enough of your <laughs> nonsense, Ben. <laughs> non nonsense, good word. You are good the word. HRT, the HRT of predictions. The HRT of Oh. Daniel Ricciardo race for those guys. They Come on. Chandok for crying out loud. The legend exactly. of the sport. <laughs> I've interviewed him. Yeah. Senna. All legend. Anyway, moving on. The, uh, the disagreements will probably start now because we're going to go into F1 overrated, underrated. Yeah. The game we've played a few times before. We give three different things in Formula One. They can be drivers, circuits, they can be pretty much anything, concepts, and we will discuss whether they are overrated, underrated, or just about right. Harry, I'm going to start with you on this one. The first topic we have, one-shot qualifying. Ooh. Underrated. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because um, I didn't it wasn't the greatest concept in the world, but we've had worse concepts, but underrated because you never miss a lap. You never miss a quality lap. You're always watching quality. And if it rained halfway through a quality session, you might end up with a bit of a mixed up grid. So say it rained, it was dry at the start and you had the slower cars go out first. Um, and then it rained towards the end, you had the fast cars, then they can't set a fast lap and you end up with a, with a weird mixed up grid. So it, it threw a bit of jeopardy in there. We did keep it for a few years and it, and it worked. It seemed to, it settled the grid pretty easily. Um, and it puts, you know, a bit more pressure on the drivers. They've got to nail the lap. It's that lap and uh, and that's it. Um, so, yeah, underrated. I like what we have now, by the way, and I, I wouldn't necessarily go back to one-shot quality, but still underrated as a qualifying format. Sam, what do you think? I can't believe I'm saying this. I am going to agree with Mr. Harry Ede. Um, wow. it, it is underrated. I, I don't think... As, as Harry's saying, actually, I don't think I like to swap it out for the current format. I really love qualifying. Uh, it's always so exciting. But, yeah, I mean, you get one go at something. How often do you get one go at something and you get it right perfectly first time? I mean, some of the top proper drivers, look how well Valtteri Bottas has qualified this year. You never know how often that can end up putting him at the top of something because he got the first run right. But Hamilton gets the second run right. 
It's irrelevant. If Hamilton gets the second one, right? Who cares? Bottas will be on pole. I wonder how often that will change a championship fight because someone is better at going out there and doing a great lap. Not a perfect lap, but a great lap. The other drivers have to put a banker in. But that's surely lap. That's all you get. I don't like the weather idea because, yes, it jumbles up the grid, but I do also feel like we're robbed of an entertaining event. We immediately know that the front half are settled if it's dry at the start. You get a good race, though. Yeah, you do get a good race, but I want to see two exciting things happen. And that's why I like the current format of Formula One, because it is exciting, regardless of weather or what happens with it. It's still exciting. Um, I really like one-shot qualifying. I wouldn't bring it back, but I do still think it is an underrated concept. One-shot qualifying is getting three for three in terms of underrated. So well done, one-shot qualifying. (laughs) You have one shot to impress. That's what it's all about. I mean, qualifying is all about setting the perfect lap. I just, I just don't think it's... Um, whilst the, I agree, I think the format that we have right now is absolutely fine. And I wouldn't necessarily change it. Um, yeah, I, I think that one-shot qualifying is what the essence of that whole thing should be. It, it's about going out there, nothing to do with bank collapse, nothing to do with giving yourself a, a target to aim for on a second or a third run. It's about going out there, nailing that lap first time. And if you don't nail it, you deservedly start towards the back of the grid. And um, yeah, I feel as if that ramps up the pressure slightly on the drivers, which is what we want to see. They are the best in the world and they should be tested at every single turn. So yes, I, I think it is underrated. Three for three. Congrats. One shot qualifying. Bravo. Great year. Thank you. I just want to apologise to all headphone users. And, uh, of course, if you don't love Jealous, please get down in the comments and let us know. It's a nice pop culture reference. Also, I mean, no. <laughs> uh, JLS, one shot. Overrated or underrated? Uh, Not important. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Uh, get your votes on one-shot qualifying in the comments, please. We'd love to know who, if the majority agree with us or most probably disagree with us. Most probably. Um, but we've got two more to go through. I feel as if this these next two might divide slightly more. The Monaco Grand Prix. Sam, is it overrated or underrated? Oh, it's so very overrated. I don't need it in my life. Um, <laughs> I just don't need it. This year's Monaco Grand Prix was one of the best we've had in a long time, and it wasn't even that great. I'm sorry. I like you, Ben. I love a race. It doesn't have to be an overtake all race. Thank God for Monaco because there never is. But you don't have to have an overtake all race. But I want the illusion, the the tension, the opportunity for a pass to be made. And unless you absolutely stack it into a barrier like your Max Verstappen every single year, then you can't make an overtake unless the most bizarre of occurrences happens, like Nico Rosberg locking up his brakes into the runoff zone. I mean, Monaco is an old-school track that worked well on old-school cars when it was a wider circuit. Qualifying is the most interesting part of it, or knowing that someone's going to absolutely bring it into a wall. For me, it is a waste of 71 laps of my weekend, and I would much rather we go somewhere else. I don't care about the jewel in the crown. I don't care at all. Overrated. Don't like it. Move on. Scathing. Harry, what do you say about this? Um... 
It's not underrated. You're goddamn right. Um, so, but I don't agree that it's overrated because I don't think anyone. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think anyone rates it as like a classic place to race. Everyone rates think... it as a classic race. No, they race. rate they rate it as a classic place to drive. I don't think they ever rate it as a classic place to race. So, and I I still look forward to Monaco. I know it never delivers a really exciting race, but I don't know. I just always look forward to Monaco. Um, I think it's just the whole weekend, but. So I don't think it's overrated, but I'm going to have to go for overrated because I don't, I don't think anyone's underrated the Monaco Grand Prix in their life. So um, yeah, by default I'm going overrated, um, but I don't think it's either. <laughs> the majority, everyone agrees with me. Thank you. Um, I think it is a little bit overrated. Um, yes. <laughs> oh God. I'm not quite as severe in my views as Sam is, but. I am going to go with overrated. I think the whole passing issue wasn't so much of a case, say, 20, 25 years ago, um, because it was so it was such a challenge and reliability was so difficult around there. You'd obviously sometimes finish with 10 drivers, six drivers. Of course, the year that Panis won, I think only three drivers crossed the line. So it was a much bigger challenge back in those days to to even get the car across the line. Um, I was actually only watching the other day a review of the 2000 Monaco Grand Prix where about half the field binned it at Sandovot. It oh, was yeah. incredible. Doesn't JB cause a pile-up or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, JB. Sandovot, please. PDR had a bit of a, a, bit of a coming together. But um, yeah, <laughs> enough about the 2000 Monaco Grand Prix. But the point is, it was okay that passing was difficult to get done because... Even if you're leading the race, there's reliability was was much more difficult to attain back in those days. Now, now you wouldn't be surprised to see 17 or 18 drivers finish a Grand Prix and only one person crash all race, and it's it's not quite the challenge it once was. So I'm going to go with a little bit overrated. You can win the Monaco Grand Prix with your car being broken, doing half a lap slower than the last car in the race because you can't overtake anywhere. That's not Formula 1. That's not racing. It's a procession. Get rid of it. So, Sam, if we get free tickets to the Monaco Grand Prix, can I give you a <laughs> I will go to the casino. <laughs> wow. Great but question. I will not enjoy it. I will sit there in the stands with my arms crossed. <laughs> I want a camera on me all the time to show my fury. <laughs> Just shaking your fist at all the cars that go past. <laughs> You'll be like the um, the Kimi Raikkonen girl from a few years ago. I will. Angry. Spanish Grand Prix. I'm angry on my top. All right. I, I have, of course, saved the best till last. This is a good one. And it is slightly related to the Monaco Grand Prix. Good. Overrated or underrated, Harry? Yano Trulli. Oh, oh God. Um, Waterboy. <laughs> wow, Jesus, this, this is difficult. I'm going to go underrated. Whoop, whoop. Because he was not he Okay, he was known for his Trulli trains during a race. And even his win in 04, he was still holding button up, I seem to remember. So... Yeah, okay. His race pace, not not great. I think we'll safe to say on that one. But his one lap, we're talking about one shot qualifying, his one lap pace was 
man- magnificent. The man could qualify a car better than most drivers have ever done. Maybe not this answer. Um, yeah, underrated just because his, uh, his qualifying performances were amazing. And any time you'd ask him how he was, if the race went badly, he was very happy. And if it didn't go well, he was not very happy. And that's just like <laughs> racing drivers. <laughs> that is such a good impression of Yano Trulli, by the way. Perfect. All right. Um, Sam, are you also underrated on this one? Yano Trulli is quite possibly the most underrated driver we've seen this century. Um, no, that's exaggeration. <laughs> Harry is back out his water. Um, Yano Trulli is an underrated driver, though. <laughs> I've made Harry literally spit everywhere. I'm so sorry. Um <laughs> Right. That, I mean, we, we, we all, we've all heard of the Trulli training. If you haven't, if you're new to Formula One, then please go onto YouTube and watch a Trulli train. Choo-choo, all aboard. Another reason why I hate Momentum, by the way. But that is a testament to how well he can defend. He can hold up an entire grid behind him. No one's getting past. Choo-choo, all aboard the train. He was great on a Saturday. That man could put a car so much higher than that, his current car or whatever he was driving deserved to be he was so good at nailing that one lap that he needed to do that is impressive he also has the best collection of haircuts you've ever seen in formula one and that's why he's underrated all aboard the underrated yano trolley train ben if you say overrated we riot (laughs) (laughs) you know people often say that Lewis Hamilton is the greatest qualifier of all time. They are utterly wrong because it's Jarno Trulli. That also is slight exaggeration, but I am all aboard the underrated Trulli train. Holding everyone up since 97. Um, He, all right, here's a, here's a list of the guys he out qualified in his career, right? Cited. He outqualified Frentzen two years out of two. Whoa. He outqualified Panis two years out of two. Across two years, he outqualified Fernando Alonso. He outqualified Jensen Button over a season. He outqualified Ralph Schumacher twice. And I mean, the best... <laughs> so that's a fairly good list, I would say, <laughs> that he has outqualified in his career. And the best thing is, he wasn't outqualified by a teammate across a season in all of his career until his final year against Heike Kovalainen when he got stuffed. Um, <laughs> Babyface beat Jano Trulli. And he's oh. the only teammate who has beaten him over a season when he has had Alonso, Button, Ralph Schumacher, Frentzen, Kovalainen was the only guy. Um, but point is, he was underrated. He was a really solid driver, and I feel as if if he had a bit more reliability in his Jordan days, I think he'd have picked up quite a few podiums more than he did. Um, had some good years at Toyota as well, and in that Renault, I'd have loved to have seen Trulli in 2005 rather than Fisichella. Um, I don't think he would have beaten Alonso, but he beat Alonso the year before Alonso won the World Championship. Just bear that in mind. So, yeah, I think he was a really solid driver. Overrated, underrated, Fisichella. Overrated. Overrated. Anyway, that was fun. I can't believe Babyface beat Yano Trulli. That is incredible. I yeah, genuinely. That. If he retired in 2010, he'd have gone through his whole career uh, without ever being beaten by a teammate and qualifying over a season. But... Well, 
I want to hear what the uh, the viewers think about Yano Trulli and about Monaco, actually. That's exciting. Please let us know in the comments. Yes, indeed. Um, and with that, I think we can get ourselves out of here, Sam. Yeah, if you have enjoyed today's video, then please make sure you leave a like and subscribe. Thank you so much for taking the time out to watch. It means an awful lot. Until the next video, I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Harry Eames. And remember, keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.